This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. There are so many joys I've gotten from the fiction series on this podcast. The joy of being someone's first professional sale. The joy of providing a venue for an ongoing series. The joy of coaxing a new story out of an author while waiting impatiently for her next novel. Today's story was written by Janelle M. Ferreira, who writes queer historical romance and sometimes poetry. In 2020, her work will appear in Climbing Lightly Through Forests, an anthology tribute to Ursula K. Le Guin, edited by R.B. Lemberg and Lisa M. Bradley from Aqueduct Press. She notes that she is beyond thrilled to take part in the Lesbian Historical Motif podcast fiction project, and not just because the world needs more historical Jewish lesbians. She is also finishing the sequel to 2018's The Covert Captain, and deeply regrets buying that melodica for her spouse and child. Find her on Twitter at Janelle Writes, particularly if you have thoughts on late Georgian coaching inns and postroads. Our narrator today is Violet Dixon, who is sheltering in place from COVID-19 outside Philadelphia with her wife, two teen sons, and four tolerant cats. When not Zoom coaching or social distancing in the recording booth, she is an award-winning stage director. She has previously done author narration for lesbian novels such as Casey Luck's Darkness series and Janelle M. Ferreira's The Covert Captain. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International Public License. You may share it in the full original form, but you may not sell it, you may not transcribe it, and you may not adapt it. Your Fingers Like Pen and Ink by Janelle M. Ferreira Oh, your eyes like black cherries, and your lips like rosy paper, and your fingers like pen and ink. Oh, that you might write often to me. From Dorton Dorton Eber Vosserl, translated by Sonia Tafe. It was almost too late in the spring for Coltsfoot. Her back ached from bending. Her hands hurt from twisting stems, and she had gone further into the forest than she meant. The river laughed just ahead of her sight. The sun had sunk behind. A felcher's daughter would never grow tall nor carry the muscle of a day's work in the rye, but she could take care of herself. Besides, she was nothing much to look at and 36, a double blessing, if only she worked out what the blessing was. Meantime, she held her hair off her neck for a moment's coolness, brushed her hands clean, and was not afraid of the woods. An arm was round her waist from behind, a light hand at her throat, and Malka found herself held and bent like a reed. Honey, you shouldn't go so far. You never know who might be out here. The worst people, she replied, and turned to face Hani Aptaker. She was pale and clever-mouthed, cut narrower than most of the boys she taught, and taller than Malka by head and shoulders. 
She looked elegant in a hat and capote, two hundred years out of fashion. Her hands were always ink-speckled, and Malka felt a sweet, ridiculous fondness every time she... Honey, no. Malka got a good look at her. Not again. Never mind it. Honey pushed her wrist over her wrecked cheekbone carelessly, as if she flicked off a fly. She was still wearing the clothes she taught in, walked in, and the men who came through Koshini in a czar's uniform would have seen not Hani, but Haskell, a thin enough bone to pick, and not quite worn down enough to be worth ignoring. Never mind an eye like that? Malka grit her teeth. Did you fight back? Of course I... not much. Love, what did they want from you? They seemed upset I wouldn't let go my book, Honey shrugged. But I never learned to speak fluent idiot, so what do I know? One of Honey's payas had been cut off, with a slow knife, or a dull one. She looked a little lopsided, a little ragged, and Malka felt fear dryness in her own throat. Just give them what they want next time, please, please. I couldn't. Not this one. Read it, said Ani, and held out a plain cloth-covered book, not larger than her hand. You know I can't. You can. That's just the point. It was printed in Yiddish. Sefer Hey Yashar, Malka read. M. D. X. C. With the Latin alphabet, she was much slower, she could not have sounded these letters into any word at all. 1592. So old. And in Yiddish? It must have been written for a woman. The light was fading, the tall grass and the river never silent. But Malka felt as though the two of them were standing in some long-ago woman's room, with books of her own and time to read them, time to think in her own language. Or by a woman, by someone like me. A half-grin shy made it past Hani's bruises. I wanted to show it to you before I sell it. You could make your name from this. I have a name, Hani clothed as Haskell shrugged. I'd like other things more. I'd like to get us out of here before... Us, echoed Malka. You work too much, and you study too long, and your girl never sees you. You should be my wife. If I could, if I could. What's your plan, scholar? There's no one here with them but the river. This was where they had always come, with secrets the village could not hold, and plans so wide only a river could believe them. This... Honey topped the book where it lay tucked inside her shirt. I'm taking it to Odessa. Odessa, she said, as if she were not saying into hell or onto the moon. You're walking there? Walk me home. I'm starving. Honey put one of Malka's clean aprons on without tying it. There was a potato for each of them and one for the pan. A little schmaltz, but no bread and Malka would not let her walk three streets to the baker's back door in the dark. 
She took her time brushing the worst of the mud from Hani's jacket, while the room grew warm and the food began to smell worth eating. But there was nothing to be done for the trouser knees or the hat. That Heskel, the teacher, boarded most often at Nathan the Felcher's house. Even now there was a stone on Nathan's grave and his son's. The village knew. All of Koshiny knew. Everyone's everything. But they had needed someone underpaid to teach Hader. They needed a Felcher, too, and a midwife. It was a slim thread of power only. A younger rabbi might have shouted her down, a less fond father married her off. But it gave Malka these two rooms, and money, sometimes. She stitched cuts, broke fevers, held babies away from Lilith. And when Hani Apteker had come back to the Felcher's house, wearing the road dust of Kiev and a pair of trousers, Malka got Koshini's silence in return. Malkala, what? You're staring. Malka looked at her, the beaten white of her linen, the blossom white of her shoulder, her dark brows a worried question, her cropped hair and its lone front curl. I want to paint you. No, I... No, Hani shook her head. In America, Malka Shaney, let me buy you all the colors in the world, but here... Paint your roots and leaves, please. We are 400 rubles from America. Malka, nettled, ducked past Hani's reach. It's too much risk. What if someone saw it? What if they see? Malka snorted. She took down her herbal from the room's one high shelf, its weight falling familiar onto her chest, and she let it open across the table, over the tin plates in the salt dish. The book's pages crackled with water wear and long use. Dried buds and brackens sifted onto the tablecloth. There were leaves and roots painted in it. Every plant Malka had picked or distilled or put down in tincture. The undersketches thick at first and then years and pages passing, clean and fine. Her father's handwriting and then her own. Better script. For a cough, for bone setting, for wanting something one could not have. For getting something one should not want. In the margins there were pictures. Koshini's fences and livestock, in broad strokes with ink. Little pencil drawings of faces and houses. Nothing to spend color on. Only a village aging with the artist who observed it. The sketch of a young girl by the study house. Half a minute's work, except for her plates, long and careful, inked black. A corner some pages later, and the same girl in it, a sack on one shoulder and a book in her opposite hand. Ten pages, twelve pages, a year of young Malka's work slipped past. And here and now, Hani's arm had gone round her waist. Drawn in quick as glances, the girl with the black braids in the woman's gallery, in the market square, wearing some boy's stolen hat. More than half through the book, her father's lettering long vanished. Malka found it. 
an entire costly page had been given to one subject. Ink and charcoal to catch darkness or light, with touches of burnt umber for eyes and brows, alizarin fading at the lips. It's me. Honey sounded young, as if she had lent her voice to that girl in the portrait. You saw me. I remembered you. You were already gone. I think it was another year before you learned to post a letter, Malka shrugged. I don't think oil and canvas will compound my sins, I'm saying. She woke the next morning in Hani's arms, very romantic, but for the cover of a book shoving her in the ribs. Hani's questions were still in her head. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you ask me not to go? As if the girl Malka had been had ever given words to her own heart. Hani was reading. Two more volumes were in the bed with them. And sometime near dawn, she had been outdoors. Her boots on the floor, too close to Malka's rag rug, were covered in wet grass. Bought bread, she said, then cleared her throat. Persuaded. Persuaded Moshi about some bread. Where's toast, then? I was researching. Honey opened her embrace to indicate the little, plain-bound book between them. The Sefer Haryushar was heavy for something so small, and it did not fall open as easily as it should for a book so very old. Malka was resolute in her skepticism, for all a good felcher stayed just a side of magic, but there was something... Toast, she said, absolutely firmly, and made her feet touch the floor. Breakfast took no time at all. Even with the last scrape of jam chased from the jar, there were no dishes, and there was only one road out of the village. It was a clear morning, no clouds, no damp, nothing to slow a person well used to walking. Honey sat on the table's edge, badly dented cap in one hand. She had always been the kind to read five books before speaking one word, but she seemed to wait now for some permission Malka scarcely knew how to give. You can't go to Odessa dressed like the milkman. Malka lifted the floorboard, beneath which everything of value, paints, sketchbook, fifty rubles, and her father's own herbal, was hidden, and pulled up something squared and soft, kept from the earth's touch by oilcloth and a layer of plain linen tucked through with white mint and thyme. It was a young man's suit, a sharp Warsaw suit, maybe only five years old. It had pinstripes, jet buttons, a wing-collared shirt. It was wool so fine, Malka's fingertips, as she held the morning coat out to Hani, didn't catch on the weave. I couldn't. I don't dare. Shmuel doesn't want it. He didn't when he was alive, either. Don't make that face. Auntie Ava made it over from our cousin, and it pinched. Hani, who had walked out of Koshini fifteen years before in a Romany shawl and plates, stood in the big room of the Felcher's cottage and looked like a city boy who had lost a tavern fight. Malka's voice was a wet sound on stones all over again. Her eyes were prickling, and her hands twisted tight in her skirts, and fifteen years wasn't time enough for some things to change. 
She said something useless as spent coals. Oh, your boots. Well, maybe even in Odessa no one walks in their shoal shoes. Malka. Wait. With a case knife she kept sharp enough for foxglove stems, Malka cut Hani's remaining payas. Hani put up one hand to the shorn spot, as if she'd been hurt. Malka, with the dark curl kept safely between thumb and palm, wanted to kiss her. It suits you, she said first, bravely. She thought she might never sleep again. The rain was a drum on the roof thatch. The wind was full of women's voices, and the Felcher's house smelled acrid from three ointments she had let burn. There was white camphor and speedwell to start again in the morning, a spatter mark searing at her wrist, and only a trace of Hani's scent left in the billows. The butcher's dog was barking, then the hatmaker's dog, then the paper seller's dog two doors beyond. She was no longer used to this, to the nonsense of being a woman alone in a house. Maka pulled the quilts over her head as if it might help, and when the knock came, she lay shaking still. Out in the darkness, someone was fumbling the front door latch. Maka! Makala, are you all right? It was a small house, no more than four steps to the door. God's sake, you knock like a Cossack. Wait, it's wet. I'm wet. Hani, soaked and sodden down to the new split in her left boot, tried half a second to keep from Alka's arms. You're real. You can't be real. It's a week's walk to Odessa, a week back. Malka, hush. I didn't go near it. I fell into the river. It took you three days to fall in the river? The big river, Hani amended, shrugging and holding on to Malka all at once. They had never kissed on the doorstep or in a downpour, but it was the blackest hour of morning, and Hani's mouth was warm. She laughed, too, between kisses against Malka's cheekbone, against her throat. I swear I would have sent a letter, but all I've got in my pockets is river water. Come inside and look. Look at this. As they dripped and shivered by the growing light of a fire, half kicked, half coaxed to life, Hani pulled the small, familiar book from beneath her shirt. The Sefer Ha-Yashar had been half drowned in the Nister. Its plain, pale cover fell by threads and drenched fragments to the floor. Hani shook it hard, as Malka had never seen her mistreat any book. It did not fly apart at the spine. The pages sagged, water streamed from it, and Hani was still holding the book as if its pasteboard was not melting away in her hands. She faced the firelight with it, and Malka shouted, Pearls, she whispered when she could, at least not acting the fool she felt. Garnets? A sapphire? I don't know the purple. Honey held the book out to Malka. I know gold when it's heavy enough to drown me. It didn't. Malkala, say something. A woman's book, she managed. We can't... We can't take these. They belong to her family. 
her family was 300 years ago in Venice. I got this off Dimitri the carter for three kopecks, and it belongs to us. Off you go again, us? Malka sniffled. Hadn't she spent 20 minutes in the rain? I've got enough here to be married, Hani brushed over the sapphire, the size of her small finger's nail. We could leave in the morning if we wanted, more or less. If only we dry. Leave Koshini? They won't have... There won't be a felcher. No, Hani looked at Malka, looking lost and gently took her hand. There will be a Malka Pachurska, a botanical painter in America. Malka Aptaker, I thought. Did you change your name in that river? I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 